We are back for our continued studies in Proverbs. When we started this study several weeks ago, we moved from chapter to chapter to let the writer firmly establish in our minds, first, the foundational concept of the fear of the Lord as the beginning of knowledge. We continued out of chapter 1 to emphasize that attitude and began to see how it was conveyed through the father-son teaching model. We encountered in that study very specific warnings, and throughout the early chapters, wisdom was calling to the reader, inviting us to get on the path of wisdom from God. We are at a place now in our studies where we're taking a good look into specific topics. And over the next few weeks, we will cover what wisdom has to say about various practical subjects. In recent classes, we have considered what Proverbs says about the use of the tongue and then humility and pride. In this class lecture, we will consider another prominent topic, Proverbs for Family Life. Now, by now you are familiar with how Proverbs is laid out. I'm not opening to a single passage or paragraph where everything is presented sequentially leading to a conclusion. The format of Proverbs is brief sayings, text, messages from God. So scattered throughout Proverbs, there are statements that convey something we need to know from God about family life, marriage, parenting, discipline, even mention of the elderly and grandparents. And I've assembled several of these for our present study. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so you start with that frame of mind, reverence for God, that prompts a desire to obey Him, and knowing that that attitude is the best possible way to manage yourself and your family. I want to talk about these family matters, love, men, women, children, discipline, and the elderly, all about family. Love seems to be the place to begin. Proverbs fifteen seventeen: better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. A frequent word in Proverbs is better. It is found in the context of comparison and is a statement of value. One thing is better than another. So in this case, a dinner with people who love each other is far better than a rich gourmet menu where there is no love. Now, the comparison in Proverbs fifteen seventeen may not immediately ring a bell today in our time. And so, if you will allow me a paraphrase, and you can make your own paraphrase to help you get the point. In modern terms, better is a dinner of top ramen and toast where love is than chuck roast gravy and potatoes and hatred with it. Now, you substitute any menu you want in your own paraphrase based on your preferences, but the better here 
is obviously love. As applied in marriages and families where people fear the Lord, therefore love the Lord and love each other, even if they're not eating gourmet food, even if they're living in substandard conditions and may be financially challenged, that is far better than an atmosphere of hatred, snapping at each other, or just cold, silent indifference that makes it very difficult to digest good or bad food. Sometimes we may be tempted to judge a family by what they have in the material sense. We admire their house, nice vehicles, good entertainment center, their earthly lifestyle. That may not reflect spiritual values, mood, and attitude in the relationships. So we need to make every effort to nurture biblical love in our families. That should come from the commitment of marriage from the parents. I should say from God through the parents to the children, this atmosphere, love one another. No matter how tight the budget, make certain love is extensive and full and widespread and active. May I highly recommend that in your family devotion time, you get out that passage that's familiar to all of us about how love behaves. 1 Corinthians 13. Don't let your children get their idea of love from the world or the media or the entertainment venues or their peers. Let them see it and hear it in you and from you. Next topic that is a family matter, let's talk about good women in the home. The wisest of women are builders of their home, but folly will tear it down. That's a paraphrase of Proverbs 14 and verse 1. Back in Proverbs 12 and verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Let's stop there and make an observation. Many times in the book of Proverbs, a statement is made that has a counterpoint. And so the positive is wise women building their homes, excellent wives, the crown of their husbands. The negative, the other side of that is tearing down the home and bringing shame to the family. Women who fear the Lord will aspire to wise action, wise building in the family, excellence as a wife and mother. Now, those two proverbs are rather general. Just keep reading for specifics. And I'm going to bring up a passage now. And later in our studies in Proverbs, I will treat this passage in one lesson. But I want to bring it up now. And you know where I'm going. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. 
She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Well, this is the kind of woman, the kind of wife and mother who has excellence and value and brings that excellence and value and strength into the marriage and into the home and into the lives of those children. Some have said, many have said that the good in our culture was built by strong, godly women. Churches have the benefit of her example. Children have the benefit of her teaching. Husbands have the benefit of her invaluable help, without which most would be lost. I have a resource I often refer to in my study of Proverbs I want to quote from. I will not apologize for using this good quote from Ray Ortland. The ideal woman is strong. How so? This poem goes on to say, that she works hard, she makes money, she is kind to the poor, she is fearless about the future, she enhances her husband's reputation, she speaks with wisdom, all this and more. Verse 17 sums it up, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong, and in her strength she is not competing with her husband, she's not going through an identity crisis over sexual politics. She's beyond that. She is giving herself away to her family and her community with wholehearted selflessness. She has high standards, and she sticks to them. A woman of this quality is rare, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. I'm thankful to Raymond Ortland for that good quotation from his commentary. What about men in the family? Well, 
We discover something right away when we open the book of Proverbs in the first seven chapters. We already know something about the responsibility of fathers because there is that prominent imagery in the early chapters of a father speaking to his son. He is issuing warnings. He is saying things like, do not forsake the teaching of your father and mother. The father is describing temptation in some detail vividly to warn and build discipline in his children. There is an obvious leading role of the father training his children. Then in Proverbs 24, 5, and 6, a wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by his wise guidance, you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. So this is strong, wise, male, godly leadership. This is a man of knowledge providing wise guidance and waging war against foolish intrusions into his family. He is seeking counselors for a path to victory. Strong men, excellent women who fear the Lord. What about children? Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The Word of God is full of wisdom for families and explicitly states over and over that children need parents who fear the Lord and that they should listen, obey, and respect their parents. God set it up this way for children to be raised in families by good parents, that children should attend to that good instruction and leadership. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. I think some children have the idea that they will take what their parents say and then decide if they like it or not. Scripture doesn't have a favorable view of that attitude. A scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 12 and verse 1 connects discipline with knowledge. Where does God expect knowledge to be acquired? From parents who hear the Lord and fear the Lord. Proverbs 12, 15, a wise man listens to advice. Children, obey your parents. I mentioned discipline. Let's consider discipline administered to the disobedient. Proverbs gives great emphasis to this. Now, these passages I'm going to read must be understood within the context of everything else the Bible says about how to raise children and about love and justice and praise for what is good and mercy. But the fact is children need discipline, and sometimes there's disobedience to be reacted to. Proverbs 19.18, Discipline your son. For there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Would you please observe? The absence of discipline is equated with putting the child to death. You want life for your children. Teach them. Train them. Praise their good behavior and give negative reaction to their bad behavior. Proverbs 29.15, The rod and reproof give wisdom. 
but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now, this is not an iron rod or rebar for a beating that draws blood. Though there is modern objection, this is the switch that gives wisdom. Still in Proverbs 29, verse 17, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. It should be said here, in the Bible, the concept of discipline involves instruction, warning, encouragement to do right, but then a negative response to what is wrong. I quote Ortland again here. Your few years with your kids are life-shaping opportunity. It might feel right now as though these high-commitment, child-rearing years will never end, but they will, and soon. Right now is your moment for enduring impact. There is more at stake for your child than getting into the best schools and the best sports and the best jobs. Your child has an eternal destiny. God has called you to train up your children to go to heaven. That is ultimately the way he should go, the way she should go. How do you help your child get there? That's your challenge. Use the Word of God to meet that challenge. Then, in family dynamics, there is the grandparent factor very often, the elderly and their role in families. And of course, if you know me, this is dear to my heart as a grandfather of nine grandchildren. Proverbs 17 and verse 6, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father's. Proverbs 20, 29, the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Proverbs 16, 31, gray hair is a crown of glory. There is a role for grandparents and in-laws in the function of the family. It is not a role of oversight or authority. It is a role of influence, example, requested counsel, encouragement. And the New Testament teaches there may come a time when parents or grandparents need the care of family. As those relationships are nurtured and governed by love, it makes it much easier for those transitions to be assumed. Now will you please give me just a couple more minutes. I've cited passages in Proverbs that pertain to marriage, family, parenting, children, Here's where I want to take this. Everything else in Proverbs needs to contribute to our understanding of what makes up a healthy family. What the Proverbs say about the fear of the Lord, we know that's foundational. What we have recently studied about the tongue, about humility and pride, what we have planned to study in future lessons about friendship and money, and anger. Every command in Proverbs, every warning, every statement about the way of fools, every attitude illustrated, not just the passages about marriage and family, take all the wisdom given by God in this book of Proverbs and before and after Proverbs and put that in your family. 
Take the Sermon on the Mount and put that in your marriage. Take the teachings in the epistles and put those in your family. See, in addition to the statements about marriage and family and parenting that are very specific, wisdom is calling out to families to take what God has graciously given to us in His Word and put that in our hearts, our relationships, and our families. I hope this will help you. Thank you for listening.